Hi there, and welcome to a very special edition of the End Zone Podcast. Uh, today, we will be missing the eponymous host, Eric Jensen. He, unfortunately, is busy, I don't know, helping old ladies across the streets, getting kittens out of trees, something like that. He's got a busy week ahead of him and uh, is not able to make it. If I, so if I, I he's literally preaching to a choir, so. He is, actually. He is literally preaching to a choir. That, that is that is factually accurate. Thank you. Uh, so I will be your host today, Mason from Buffalo, and I'm joined by my good friend, YB, all the way from South Korea. Yep. How are you doing today, YB? Uh, well, it, it was a it was an adventure uh, getting the kids to sleep, but I mean, that it that always is an adventure. So. Now, was it a bigger adventure getting the kid to sleep or the technical difficulties we had for about half an hour before all of this? Well, I mean, you're the one that brought it up, not me. <laughs> I, I was I was not planning on bringing that up for the course of the podcast, but hey, your your show. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I just I would like to just give a shout out to Eric on that one of constantly dealing with uh, doing that because that was definitely a nightmare. Thirty minutes of how do we do this? So, but we're here. We're recording, and uh, I think what we should do, because it was requested of us last week, I think we were supposed to come here with some apologies for Eric. Yeah, That's what he was demanding, apologies about the number 13 quarterback in the league. Yeah, about that guy. So 13 was not a lucky number in that regard, I'd say. <laughs> no, definitely don't think it uh, worked out in his favor. So uh, Eric, if anything, we're sorry uh, <laughs> that the Broncos are who they are. So, yeah. like, I mean, Eric was saying, like, if the Broncos lose, we don't have to talk about the Broncos. That that ain't gonna that ain't gonna fly, my brother. So, <laughs> so no, we time are for the show. You're 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 lucky this show was truncated. Otherwise, we could have gone for a lot longer about this. But <laughs> yeah, it would have been about 15, 20 minutes. But we're gonna move on. Um, I will say, sitting in the hosting chair is a little weird. Uh, it it it's giving me these weird emotions to say things like. Patrick Mahomes might not be a top five quarterback in the league, and the Chiefs might be dead. It, it, maybe it's not Eric. Maybe it's just the hosting seat that's poison. Yeah, but well, uh, I mean, like when you bringing consider, the Chiefs up, when you consider the, who the hosts of so many of these uh, popular shows are and what kind of what kind of takes they spew on live television, I, I, you might have a point there. Maybe, you know, again, maybe they don't want to say that. It's literally, it's just, it's some evil spirit that lives within the hosting chair that makes them have all these hot takes. Yeah, maybe. Like but, some, so. I think some enjoy the actual opinion, but I mean, you're maybe. fine. Yeah. But we're going to move on. We're going to keep making these wild opinions and we'll <laughs> go ahead and we'll start with the Chiefs game from Sunday night. Uh, man, Chiefs taken yet another loss on the year. Another bad yeah. one. The refs. Having another horrible look. That that was one. That, I think that might have been like you know how in the NBA there's like a two minute report for the end of the game. You know if they put a, if they put out a two minute report for the end of this game, I think some I think some people would get like not just fired but blacklisted from ever working for the NFL again. Of course, this is the NFL where this that sort of accountability does not happen. So no doubt that that same crew will be on the scene again for the weekend because face it they got nobody nobody better to do the job which is a horrifying statement to say but it started like it like remember in the group chat like like when uh, our good friend Brad who is off uh hopefully off doing his finals and not fentanyl but that's a story for another time but it started off with a pretty bad like roughing the pat like not roughing the passer because Mahomes was running, but you know, unnecessary roughness call where the Mahomes was clearly in bounds when he got hit, and uh, and then a few plays later, Corey Ballantyne decided to uh, uh, reenact the children's game and climb all over Marcus Valdez Scantling, which I might doubt as to whether it was necessary, considering the copious amount of drops that MVS has had this season. But I digress. <laughs> <laughs> And then let's see. There was like there was one before the final play of the game where, oh oh yeah, the, that whole uh, Rasheed Rice like fumble or not fumble fiasco, which resulted in uh, Isaiah Pacheco like deciding to uh, temporarily switch careers for a second and take a left hook. And I'm not sure what the wisdom is in punching a guy with a with a pretty durable helmet on, but I guess. He was no Andre Johnson. He didn't take court like Andre Johnson to court with Finnegan's helmet off and started wailing away at him. That was a smart man right there. 
And then, of course, the final play, like, it almost never gets called, but Travis Kelsey definitely gets shoved in the back before he can jump up, and therefore Kelsey can't jump up. So, yeah, not, like, like it's not even, like, worth the euphemism of not their finest hour. This was a this was an all-around terrible job by the referee officiating crew. Yeah, it's really unfortunate that we, we come in to recap a game and we once again have to have this conversation. I mean, I, I it was three or four weeks ago when I posed the question to everybody, is this the worst year of any NFL officiating we've seen? And there was a lot of, like, maybe it's recency bias, maybe it's not. I'm done. It's the worst year of NFL officiating we've seen. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, on, the only saving grace that this season has left, and this is a potential one, not an not an actualized one is that we haven't had a we haven't had a case yet because obviously the postseason hasn't started where we have a an egregious uh dpi that wasn't a dpi or a a, a yeah a dpi that wasn't a dpi affect an actual actual playoff game so that's the only hope right there it is but unfortunately at this point i would say that with the games that the refs have very clearly egregiously made mistakes in they've possibly affected the playoff standings yeah there that that is definitely true i mean like you could you look at like any game like for between like contenders and odds are you can find at least one or two calls that are like maybe maybe in terms of the end result like you can't really blame it on one call, but if you're watching the actual game and seeing the flow of the game and, you know, people say, people debate whether momentum is real, but a big call like a, a DPI or a no DPI or a, or a bogus holding call or whatever, like, that can really, like, that can really turn the, turn the tide of a game in one moment. It really can. And I mean, you want to debate whether or not momentum's real. You go ahead and ask Pats and Falcons fans whether or not momentum is real. Because uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it got felt all over that Super Bowl. So, I mean, like, I mean, I can give you a better, I can give you a recent example. I mean, in the AFC title game two years ago, when they stopped Tyreek, when the Bengals stopped Tyreek Hill, like, before, without, like, without him scoring. And then that basically turned into, like uh, an avalanche in from Cincinnati. Like, yeah, it, it's just sometimes it's that one moment. I mean, they're human beings too. Like I know that they're professional athletes and they're more physically fortified than I am. But come on, like stuff affects them too. Yeah, definitely. So I mean, like, in the reality of the game, probably too long enough. <laughs> Depressing. In the reality of the game, though, I think that. It, it it was it was it was honestly a pretty fun game to watch overall. I think that the Jordan Love hype for me might need to get dialed back like a little bit. Like he made some really good plays, but when I watched a lot of the plays and stuff like that, what I saw on a lot of like the the big plays, the highlight plays, the stuff where they really did a lot of the damage, mm-hmm. it was Green Bay skill position players absolutely abusing Casey's secondary. And I think that might have been the most surprising part of all because Kansas City's secondary is pretty darn good, and Christian Watson, like, like he he's a mercurial guy. Like he has ridiculously high peaks, and he also disappears. Kind of like another receiver that I like won't mention the name of, who you're very familiar with, but I digress. <laughs> but on the whole, like, <laughs> like the Packers, like scope position core, especially the wide receivers, they're all really really young. Like Watson's in his second year. Dontavian Wicks, uh, Jaden Reed are in are rookies. Romeo Dobbs is in his second year, and they, like Jordan loves the veteran guy. <laughs> like when you think about it, which is which is kind of funny to think about. But uh, it's funny to think about. But you know what? Honestly, with a young core of guys, that might be kind of what you want out of the situation: is your quarterback to be the leader, and and yeah, so that yeah. not one of the skill position guys is the one being demanding. Yeah, I mean, like we're uh, yeah, basically like. Uh, I think the only like the legit veteran guy in terms of scope position players in that team is a is Aaron Jones, and unfortunately Aaron Jones's uh, health has not allowed him to be on the field a lot of time. But I was pretty surprised because that that I've like you've seen you've heard me talk on this podcast before how I rate the Chiefs secondary very highly, and they lost a pretty big part big player for their secondary, and Brian Cook who was uh, carted off with what looked like a pretty bad bad leg injury. I didn't quite check the medicals to see what exactly the injury was, but it did not look good. And like 
McDuffie has played well, but Christian Watson got him on that touchdown. And unfortunately, Christian Watson also, I think, uh, hurt something in, like on a non-contact injury. I hope it wasn't serious, but it's... Yeah, that looked just really troubling. Anytime you see somebody go to the ground completely of their own volition, yeah, and but especially during a play, like, that's deeply concerning. Yeah. So, like, I'm, I, I think that also leads into another, like, like I, I guess, I guess we can stay on this and kind of talk about the macro. But it seems like the NFC North, like, which is what's, which looked like basically Detroit's, well, Detroit's thing to go and run with it, and it probably still is. But the Packers, after a pretty rough start, like they've seemed to have found their footing. So it makes for a bit of an interesting race, especially when you can when you combine that with the fact that the Vikings also managed to pull off some. Uh, like skin of their teeth wins with the astronaut, although he came back down to earth, no pun intended, uh, <laughs> the last time he played. And on on the flip side, like we've talked about the Chiefs a lot, obviously in the in the course of this podcast because of the teams we root for. But the Chiefs, obviously the the offense doesn't look right, like at least not compared to what we know them to be to be capable of. And this receiver thing, like Eric Trill, Eric's a bit shrill about it, but he does, like, his point is getting harder to ignore. Like, Mahomes really doesn't trust most of the guys other than Kelsey and Pacheco or, or McKinnon. You're definitely not wrong, and I don't think Eric's wrong about that either at this point. I mean, the the anecdote that Brad brought up last week of MVS literally being open and Mahomes looking him off for somebody in triple coverage. Right, right, and and it was the correct read. That was the that was the, and it was the correct read. I mean, I hate to keep cramping on MVS, but man, catch a ball. Well, I mean, that might be, I mean, he caught he caught some very important balls last year, and I I think like like him being a very significant contributor to a Super Bowl, like you would think it would buy him a bit more leeway, but those some of those drops are pretty egregious. Yeah, I mean, again, when you're when you've got four or five steps on a guy and you drop a wide open ball that leads you straight into the end zone, like it's kind of hard to keep trusting you after that. Uh, yeah. Quick update on the Brian Cook injury. It seems his X-rays came back negative, and so fortunately, okay. that's, that's it's good. just an ankle injury. It would seem. Yeah. yeah, when you when you saw his expression, like how he's getting uh, driven off on a cart, like you feared, like there was something serious had gone wrong, and that's good to hear. Although, like, yes. that, that does that does dovetail nicely into another topic that I did want to briefly touch on, which was on Monday Night Football, where. Another, where a second quarterback with the initials JB decided to all of a sudden come out of nowhere and absolutely torch the Jaguars. And Jake Browning, like, I, I don't think I, like, I, I watched the Bengals preseason and Jake Browning was terrible. <laughs> like, he was a little bit better than Trevor Simeon, which when you now see him on the Jets is really not saying much. Watching Monday Night Football and how Jake Browning was like Browning played exceptionally well, no questions asked. Just like he put good touch on his throws, like he was very accurate. But also when you looked at how like the offense was schemed up, and amongst Bengals fandom, like we know like the offense like when Burrow's there is tailored towards what Burrow wants to do. But this offense, the offense that we saw from Cincinnati on Monday. Seemed different somehow. I'm not. I didn't get into the nitty gritty details of play calling, like in terms of run pass ratio or whatnot. But they definitely like stuck with the run a lot more. Mixon had 19 carries. Chase Brown had nine, which was good to see after he came off the IR. Like, and believe it or not, when you look at like the metrics for the Bengals' offensive line in terms of run blocking, they're among they're in the top third of the league, and which. Like when when you when you combine that with the fact that Joe Mixon is rated really low in terms of running efficiency rate, like that leads you to wonder about certain things. But on the whole, like the Bengals really pulled one out of the hat, and uh, obviously the other big news coming out of that game was that the Jaguars basically lost two of their big most important players on offense, and obviously in Trevor Lawrence and in Christian Kirk. Lawrence seems it said it was a high ankle sprain, and 
because he's apparently made of rubber, he's like rehabbing like hell to try to see if he can play on play on Sunday, which I think <laughs> which is pretty remarkable. Like I doubt that. Like I don't think uh Doug Peterson will be stupid enough to like let Trevor Lawrence do that, but I mean the fact that that actually comes out on media says something about the constitution of Trevor Lawrence physically, but Christian Kirk I think it was a pretty like significant loss because after that first catch when he was wide open and that was that's been this part that's been part and parcel for this Bengals defense they allowed explosive plays a lot and then he just fell down and like, I think I saw a Twitter joke about possible testicular torsion I don't think that was no I think it was it was a simple sports hernia but that was a disturbing image to think about but it was it's a big loss because. Kirk's the guy that kind of goes and does the dirty work while Calvin Ridley try, does the thing where he goes on the outside and tries to win. And they got good contribution from their rookie in Parker Washington, who made a pretty ridiculous grab in the end zone. But on the whole, the Jaguars lost a lot, in, like a lot more than just a game. Like they lost a pretty big, they lost one of their signature receivers. Their quarterback is now hobbled. And I think too many teams are too familiar with the fact that their quarterback is either out, like out and out or hobbled. So And I, I think that leads us pretty great into our next point there is there are a lot of teams right now that are struggling with either their quarterback with a nagging injury of some variety yeah. or just out. Yeah. And that's not even taking into consideration like whether the quarterback is incompetent. Like I think other people have harped on the Jets enough, so I'll leave it at that. But yeah, I mean, like when you look at, say, for example, the AFC North, like ironically, the only one that's currently right now standing is Lamar Jackson, who was the one that's always described as like injury prone. So, like the three, like three teams in the AFC North that are down, there's like quarterbacks. Like we already obviously had two Achilles injuries to quarterbacks, and Kirk Cousins and Aaron Rodgers. Um, it's and Justin. Yeah, and I mean, we've got the AFC East too, where it's again, Tua has for the most part been the injury prone one for the past couple of years, and he's the only one so far who's been weathering the year without it. Yeah, like Josh Allen, like Josh Allen always has something nagging. Like he's a he's a big ass dude and a tough guy, so like he plays through it. But you you get the sense that Josh, there's something not quite right about Josh Allen all the time. And uh, let's see, the Jets have a different kind of quarterback issue, and. Uh, <laughs> The Patriots, well, yeah, they also have a different kind of quarterback issue, although I think that issue runs a bit more systemic. Well, I guess you could say the same thing for the Jets, but when I, 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 I'm not sure if you've run across this statistic on your, like, while you were research, but apparently up before last, like, up to last week's games, like, when in in the NFL this season, when a team holds the opposing team to ten points or less, they're fifty-two and three. And the three losses are all by the Patriots in the last three weeks. Oh, my God. <laughs> if I remember correctly, they held the – I forget the first team they held to 10, but they held the Colts at 10 points, they held the Chargers to 6 points, and they lost all three. I mean, that's – that that's that's like I I don't give a damn like Bill Belichick's like one of the greatest coaches to ever coach the game but this is this is beyond like I don't I don't care what kind of status you have that's terrible. It's yes, genuinely terrible. I mean, sure your defense is going out there and doing their job. No one else is. Yeah, like I mean, and it's it's sad because Mac Jones, for all his faults, like in his rookie season, he showed promise. Like like he wasn't gonna be a world beater like. A, like a Mahomes or an Allen or a Burrow, but you could see, you could visualize like him being like having like a Kirk Cousins type of career, like especially as he Alex Smith. Games. I mean, it seemed like he could be a great game manager in the right system. And then like one year of Matt Patricia and Joe Judge, apparently like this apparently just broke Mac Jones. And then like, so Belichick decided to go a little bit deeper into his uh, old uh, Rolodex, brought up Bill O'Brien, like, I showed you a gif of Bill O'Brien like absolutely like railing away at Mac Jones on the sidelines. <laughs> that I think that's yeah, the that was... that's the enduring image of the Patriots season this year. It's sad. It's like... well, and the best part of that image was Bill Belichick looking completely indifferent while staring off into the field. Yeah, like no, no. This this is yours, Bill. This is yours, 
Bill Bryan. Like, you, you handle this part. Like, I don't give a damn what you say. Like, you have part blush to say whatever the hell you want to this little kid. Like, like you know how, you know that old saying that for a struggling team, the most popular guy in the city is the backup quarterback? And, yeah. that, and that only lasts until the backup quarterback actually goes on the field, usually. <laughs> that, that seems like it would be pretty accurate. And that is exactly Because, uh, I mean, B- Buffalo, honestly, has an extraordinary uh, history with that one because we all really wanted Nathan Peterman. Well, yeah, and then Nathan Peterman decided to make history, not exactly in a good way, and then he became a punchline for many years thereafter. <laughs> yes, he did. I mean, you suffered through the thumbs time. You suffered through the E.J. Manuel era, the uh, short-lived Nathan Peterman era, the J.P. Lawsman era. Like you've had some horror stories in in your bag. Yeah, I mean, again, so I can look around the league and I can say unequivocally that quarterback play is bad this year. Yeah, I mean, like, like C.J. Stroud being like C.J. Stroud being like the league leader in yards is a it's a hell of a story, and Stroud is really playing well. But when you think about it, the fact that that's the case, like, it's it's a sign that this year, like. Offensive play in general is down, except for for. It, except so for CJ Tyler. Stroud took the lead in yards because before this was Sam Howell. So like, yeah, yeah. Well, Two rookies have been holding most yards in the league. Well, Sam Howell, Howell's a little different because Howell the team sucks, so he has to constantly throw the damn ball. <laughs> I mean, but still, just just the the fact, regardless of that, I mean, Mahomes and Allen on regular years just throw up five thousand yards like it's nothing. Right, and same, I don't same, know that that's coming this year for either of them. Or, or same as some like Justin Herbert, and then obviously some of the more usual suspects like Burrow, Rogers, or Cousins are all they're all out for the season. So, like, it's, yeah, it's kind of like a it's kind of like a perfect storm of events in that regard. But and that again, I'm, I'm vein of the rookies. Anthony Richardson unfortunately got sidelined for the season. Right, and then and Bryce Young's going through some tough times. And and uh, we've got Daniel Jones out in New York, right? We have Tom, so we have Tommy DeVito and like Justin Fields was out. Tommy for, DeVito. I mean, he's just like the quintessential New York guy. I don't know how they didn't make this decision sooner. Like, you, like you could just hear like the uh, racks to riches blaring when he's going onto the field. Like, you, you know, if you know what that that reference, you know what I'm talking about. I do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and also, obviously, Justin Fields was out for a while. We had the Bajan of Change. Like and he played pretty well, I thought. Like, at least like he's not as dynamic an athlete as Justin Fields, but it seems like at the NFL level he plays quarterback a bit more solidly than Justin Fields, which yeah. is an indictment of Justin Fields, I would say. Uh, and probably why if like if the Bears end up getting the first overall pick, courtesy of the Panthers' uh, folly, then you would have to assume they're gonna look at quarterback, or if they decided to give Fields one more shot, which I doubt, but you never know with the Bears. Like they probably look to trade down, but like you can just imagine Caleb Williams in Chicago, like on Soldier Field in in that shitty ass grass, and with like a what like a northeaster like blowing away at him in like late November, and thinking, what the hell am I doing here? I mean, you know, honestly, if they do end up with the first overall pick, I would say the track record for deciding that your last year or two's pick isn't working out and moving on and using that first overall pick in order to get somebody worthwhile has kind of worked out. I mean, sure, the Cardinals don't have a Super Bowl in the show for it, but I'd say the Kyler Murray experience has been a great deal better than the Josh Rosen one would have been. Yeah, not exactly the high bar to clear, but that is definitely true. I, although, like, I mean, the the Colin Murray thing was interesting because it's one year afterwards. Like you rarely see that. You rarely see that kind of admission of a, like of a failure on the previous round of, of the previous year. So, yeah. I mean, again, I think that some of the, the in there at least too, like that was a bit of a power struggle issue too, just because right. when they decided they were going to hire Cliff Kingsbury, I think they gave him quite a bit of say over what was going to happen and didn't just leave it to Steve Kimes hands. Yeah, when you think about the fact that Matt Eberflus and Ryan Poles might also be looking for new jobs like after this season, like that could also be a similar case. 
Yep. I mean, again, when when you look back at the history of of the past two decades of GMs and how they get fired, quarterbacks are usually how it ends up happening. Yeah, which which stands to which brings the question: Why hasn't uh, Scott Fitterer been fired yet? Maybe we can ask Brock that next time. But <laughs> yeah, we definitely should. I mean, uh, maybe that's just the the hope of new management and stuff. But it does, yeah, no, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, when you think about the, how David Tepper has like been very quick to fire Frank Reich and whatnot, it's kind of it's kind of weird that he hasn't uh, gone after the other guy that's really leading the football operations like uh Scott Vitter. But you're you're not wrong. I mean and maybe there's some logic behind no and no there's no logic behind it because they're not that far into draft prep season as far as I understand from some of the stuff that I've listened to and I've read into where if you wanted to switch your GMs, it's not a bad time to be thinking about it. Right. Like this is the kind of time when you start like looking at potential like uh, GMs or coaches or both in certain teams' cases, and kind of making like kind of div- like saying like what you can transition into. And so, uh, they, I mean, they didn't get the sort of like Rich Bisaccia style bump they wanted. Like they obviously lost last week to Tampa Bay, but this year, like you just hope it doesn't really permanently scar Bryce Young. Like, like because like. Bryce Young, like I think, like Brock, Brock went on this for a long time, so I don't need to belabor the point. But like, it's not all Bryce Young's fault. There's, there's not much around him, and there's only so much he can do. Yeah, you're definitely not wrong. I mean, there, there's, there's only so much you can accomplish within that system. And I mean, frankly, any team in that division right now that's got themselves a shiny new quarterback and is expecting something out of that has to be looking at their team right now and wondering what's going on because the league, the leader in that division right now is the Atlanta Falcons at six and six. Yeah. And it's not, it's not courtesy of their quarterback. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> no, it's not. And, and so realistically, every other team in that division, I mean, hell, especially like the Saints going out and getting Derek Carr has to be looking at themselves and going like, what are we doing right now? Like, we should be pushing to win this division. Oh, but oh, but didn't you know, like, because they start the offseason like $90 million over the cap and then they restructure and kind of put kick the can down the road the whole time and they get cap compliant, they'll say that they're geniuses when in, basically they're just kind of slowly sinking away into mediocrity, like... You've already seen the Asian curve come for like respective veterans like Cameron Jordan. Demar Davis is also not quite the player he was last year. Derek Carr like he hasn't played well, and also he's been really banged up. Like he's been he's been hit, getting hit a lot. And Derek Carr is I I didn't check his contract, but I do I did hear, and this might be wrong, but Derek Carr might have still have a dead cap if he gets cut after this season, which I find hard to believe, but. Like that, that case, would be brutal if true. That's really brutal. Like, <laughs> I think at the end of the day, when it comes to to the way that GMs play the game, especially the way that like the Saints do, and there's a couple other teams around the league that plays the cap game the way that the Saints do. There's one thing that you absolutely have to have in place in order to play that game, and it's your quarterback. If you yeah. don't have a quarterback that can win you games, that can take control of them that keeps the team level that makes sure that you're in everything you don't get to play those games anymore oh okay so because just, you you have to sign the personnel to win right there there's also one other condition that you need for to play that kind of game and that's an owner that's willing to spend cash immediately which is not a given like because some obviously some owners are a bit more liquid than others like yeah hey, see the haslams yeah i mean uh, well i'm not sure they're i'm not sure they're uh very happy with their uh, $230 million purchase, but fuck them. But anyway, so I was looking up Derek, I looked up Derek Carr's contract. So if he gets cut after this season, there's a debt cap of $52.8 million, Okay. $52.8 million? Yeah. He, okay. So at, at signing, $60 million guaranteed. Okay. Like looking at this contract and now looking at what has happened, like this real, like, it wasn't the great, it wasn't like a great move from the start, but now that now that things have transpired, this is looking like oh man, this is looking pretty darn grim. Yeah, that is 
looking like one of the more brutal signings. Yeah. It, I mean, uh, if he go, if, if they caught him and they go dead cap, his, his cap hit is $20 million higher than Patrick Mahomes. Right. It's insane. It's insane. They, I mean, wow, they screwed the pooch on that one. I, 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 I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm not sure what the Saints' mindset is because, like, I, I know that for a fact. I've, I've looked at this on over the cap and kind of like, kind of finagle with it. Like, they can't do the one year. Like, just we'll take all the dead cap hits and just start with a fresh slate. They can't do that because they're too far over the cap to even do that. So they have to. It's got to be a multi-year process, and <clears throat> they have to kind of shelve their uh, hopes of winning this very trash-ass division for like a year or maybe two years. But because it's such a trash-ass division, like they feel that they can still win while doing these cap gymnastics and kind of slowly becoming more mediocre and losing players. And they were able to do that, I think, for a while because of how insane their 2017 draft was with Marshawn Lattimore and whatnot. But lately, their draft picks haven't been as good. Olave being a notable exception, although I think Olave is is good but not great. So it's like I mean I I mean when I, remember when we did our season previous and we were kind of thinking we were kind of drawing up like who the top teams and the bottom teams would be. I had the Saints on the bottom five and obviously like Eric pushed back quite a bit on it and I think I was early maybe one year, but I think what like. Dennis Allen have his, obviously in his second opportunity has not been a great head coach. Uh, the Alvin Kamara suspension obviously didn't help in the beginning of the season, and like the key contributors, well, maybe in the secondary they've gotten a bit younger with Paulson Debo and Alante Taylor, but other than that, like I really don't see like where the well maybe a receiver because Olave and Rashid Shahid are pretty good, but other than that, there's not much to be hopeful for in the future. I mean, there's really not. I mean, honestly, there's a few weeks left of the season. They, they could they could reasonably end up being a bottom five team. I don't think that it's necessarily out of the realm of possibilities for them. And uh, realistically, considering the breadth of competition that they have to play, that's an even more tragic indictment of how they've been doing. Because the NFC as a whole has like four teams. That are really like the the cream of the crop ones. Uh, the Eagles are now going to have a bit of a harder time with whatever's going on with Jalen Hurts. But you know, we we've got four teams up there that are really doing week in and week out, having some consistent play, winning games and stuff like that. And then the rest are like mediocre to bad. And the Saints have been playing mediocre to bad teams all season, and they can't even muster better. That. that that is tragic for a team that thought that they were a quarterback away from getting back into the playoff picture and being a contender. Yeah. yeah. Like, well, I think that also transitioned well because let's talk about a bit more, something a bit less depressing about the NFC and talk about those four teams that you mentioned. So obviously this Sunday, the Niners beat the brakes off the Eagles. Like Oof. it was quite a performance because like the Eagles haven't been playing as good. I think, they haven't been playing very well in recent weeks. Like that's not a lot. Like they kind of sleepwalk. They've been do this loss. I feel like they've been. They this has been coming to them for a couple of weeks now. Yeah, they've been able to skate by and like kind of like like step on the gas when they need to and kind of get it out by the skin of their teeth, which unfortunately you're very familiar with. But yep. But the Eagles they haven't looked very impressive in a while, and the Niners like after getting embarrassed by Cincinnati like. And not, and getting I think people getting I think some of the weapons back like uh, Debo was out for a while like I think they missed Ayuk in a in a game or so and I think also like obviously Bosa held out through training camp so that kind of had something else to do with it like <clears throat> but that was an impressive performance and they out they really out physicaled the the Eagles like it it was it was a it was an eye opening win and. Remember the previous week they dismantled the Cowboys. So, oh, maybe it wasn't the yeah the Forty Niners. I mean, I'll even just exclude the word NFC. The Forty Niners are the team to beat right now. Right, like, like the the usual suspects at the top of the AFC are they're either 
kind of hanging on by the skin of their teeth, or they're find they're trying to find a new way to win when because the previous way isn't gonna come to happen right now. And so the nine years yep. they're the ones that have, I think, the most complete team in terms of both offense and defense. Maybe the Ravens like might be the only ones that can kind of match in terms of balance, like power squad on offense and defense. But the Niners, like they have obviously have an offensive genius like leading the helm. Like you can make I think you can make that a statement about either uh, Kyle Shanahan or Brock Purdy, like, <laughs> <laughs> like Pert, like the fact that Purdy gets a lot of yards after a yak isn't. It shouldn't be a knock on him. And the terms, I like. There are so many. Like, I don't think I've seen a quarterback like divide opinion as much as Brock Purdy. Like in terms of like what he does versus the opinion split on him. And I don't give a damn if a guy is a system, a quote-unquote system quarterback that needs certain things around him to get the results. He gets you the results, like, like in the system that he's in, in with the players, with the players around him that he has, he gets you the results and gets you very good results. I don't give a damn. Yeah, if I mean, we could name half a dozen quarterbacks that wouldn't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like. It, like Brock Purdy has played exceptionally well. Like a couple of games, obviously he has he's had hiccups. Like there, I don't think there's been a player, maybe with the exception of Tyreek Hill, like has that's been playing incredibly well all season. I think Tyreek might want to take that Kansas City game back as well. But like other than that, like Brock Purdy, especially when you consider the fact that he like there was rumors that he was going to have TJ Tommy John surgery in the off season, it's remarkable. It, it really is. I mean, that the the team as a whole is just absolutely incredible. The coaching staff is incredible. It, it's hard to envision a world where they're not one of the two teams playing for the Super Bowl at the end of the year right now, as far as I'm concerned. Well, I mean, like history tells us that it is possible to imagine a way, and that's uh, getting a very inopportune injury at a very inopportune time. But other than other than that, yeah, I really agree. Like they're the offensive line's really good. Like they obviously have a first battle hall of famer like anchoring it. Like they have the best running back in the league. Like arguably like the best like two like like in terms of production this season, the best uh tandem. Well, no, best tandem might not be true because like even though they got waxed last week, AJ Brown and Devontae Smith I think have outproduced Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel, but like they have obviously one of the great tight ends. They have a they have a nasty ass defense like that somehow added Chase Young for a third rounder like go figure oh. like like they're they're like they're a defense that basically let Al Shahir walk to Tennessee because they couldn't find room for the guy and the guy's like a hundred percent snap guy on Tennessee it's, it's yeah insane. they I mean they lost an All Pro safety for the season in when torn ACL and they have a rookie come in he doesn't miss a beat. This this operation is insane. It, it it's genuinely just it's it's one that most teams should be looking at and wondering why their team can't be doing the same thing. Yeah, because they're, I mean they're working with the same piece as everyone else's, if not a little bit less in some areas. Because again, I mean Brock Purdy was what a sixth round draft pick. He he was he was seventh. He was the last pick. Seventh. Yeah, that's right. Thank you. Like Mister Irrelevant is out here. Irrelevant as hell. I mean, oh my gosh, has a Mr. Irrelevant ever won MVP? I doubt it. I highly doubt it. That would be what an incredible story that would have been. Right. Uh, When you like the funny thing is though, his main competition, I think, in MVP, other than Tyreek Hill, I think, is the uh, one of the other quarterbacks in that like uh, NFC tandem, Dak Prescott. Prescott's been playing exceptionally well this season. He has. And the the benefit that I think he's gotten this season over previous seasons is his defense isn't constantly letting him down. And so he's not constantly making all these like garbage time yards where everybody points to him and goes like, yeah, he's collecting stats and all, but they're losing every game. Who cares? Yeah. And also it doesn't, it doesn't hurt that like they have somebody on defense that somehow scored five touchdowns on defense. <laughs> Unbelievable. 
Like Deron Deron Bland isn't the greatest corner in the NFL. Like let's not kid ourselves that like, he's not gonna win DPOY just because he has five pick sixes, but that's still remarkable. Like <laughs> I think Tra- like Trayvon Diggs like is probably like stewing because that should have been me. Like <laughs> that should have been me. And I just tore my knee up. <laughs> Like, right? I mean, they're literally just handing it to him half the time, it feels like. <laughs> All I had to do was be there. Like, it's, it, it's remarkable. Like, it's it's going to be interesting because, like, barring, like, some catastrophic injury to one of those one of the four teams, so San Francisco, Dallas, Philadelphia, Detroit, like, they're going to be the ones that are going to, like, square off in the divisional round, like, barring some catastrophe. And I'm... I'm interested to see how Detroit matches up against those three. Like, I forget whether they played. I forget whether they played each other this season. But let's take a look at Detroit's schedule real quick. We're going to find that out because I'm curious about that as well. Because yes, Detroit has won a lot of games, but again, since neither of us are big AFC guys or or big NFC guys, I don't necessarily yeah. know who they've been winning them against. Yeah, but the Lions like. Like in terms of like they play like they're I think they they've laid some eggs like that's definitely true like they I think they've lost a, a couple games I think they sh- really shouldn't have lost like the Packers game was interesting although I think the Packers like obviously in the in the course of the previous few weeks have shown that they're better than their early season results suggested and but you like I think the like the the defense seemed to be more improved like I think at the beginning of the season but I think. There, I think time has shown that it hasn't gone quite back, like up to like real, like true contender level, like strike fear to enemy style defense. But the offense obviously is very productive. Jared Goff is having arguably one of the best years of his career. Like, uh, he is. Uh, so looking through their schedule, they have one impressive win. The opening. They've. they've they yeah the opener and they've had one game against somebody I would consider a remote contender in the Ravens and they got and whacked. that ended thirty eight to six yeah they got waxed and they have only one more actual test coming up in the Cowboys yeah. otherwise yeah. they play the Bears they play the Broncos and they play the Vikings twice and so realistically the Lions are skating into the playoffs practically untested yeah. They- they have, like it's it makes you wonder like because the Eagles obviously yeah, they're they're ten and two I believe the Niners are uh they're they the Niners are nine and three as well I believe same. so so let's see in terms of okay. then conference record so the Niners have the tiebreaker but obviously like obviously the Eagles obviously have the leg up because they actually have one win on. The, two, the three other teams. Dallas is also nine and three, so <clears throat> it's pretty hard to catch the Eagles if they don't slip up. But the Eagles obviously they play Dallas this week, and then if they get if they survive Dallas, then I think it's a bit easier for the Eagles from that point on because uh, they have let's see Seattle. Away to Seattle is tricky, but not unwinnable. They have the Giants twice, and then they have the Cardinals. So. If they can, if they can manage a win against Dallas, then in Dallas, which is a lot trickier, then I think they should have should get the bye, which is. And when you think about how they like the kind how they played like throughout the course of the season, it doesn't really feel like they kind of deserve it. But you know, you play who you got in front, and they've obviously beat some. They've obviously beat the Cowboys once. They beat the Chiefs. They beat the Bills. They beat the Dolphins. So they have impressive wins. So I'm being I'm being unfair to them in that regard. But no, but I, I understand what you're saying. It's like when you watch some of the other teams, especially like the 49ers. It's like that's the team that deserves the one seed. That's the team that deserves the buy. And if they don't get it to the Eagles, and they keep playing the way that they've been playing the past four or five weeks, it feels unimpressive. Yeah, but they but they'll have gotten the results. So so un, and unlike college football, like they don't have a committee to say like, but you're not the best team. So you just have to yeah. I, could you imagine if the NFL had a committee for that? Oh, oh. 
<laughs> I don't I don't want I don't want to give uh Roger Goodell even more power over the NFL, so let's not imagine that. Like <laughs> Yeah, we don't want to wish that into existence. Yeah. Like I did, there was a funny comment where like people are saying like like giving hypotheticals about the NFL, and they're saying like, can you imagine like if like in golf, like you're watching the NFL and you can call in for like to say like, no, you missed the penalty there, and then I think I think someone replied like, if that's the case, then the NFL will probably need to actually buy out Verizon so that they can handle the number of calls that come in for after each play, saying like there was a hole on that play. <laughs> so. <laughs> It would. They would have to have like an automated service that literally dumped ninety nine percent of calls to holding. Right. <laughs> like so. You can complain about a holding. Hold, please. Yeah, ninety percent hold. Five like nine percent pass interference, and then like one percent some other some one percent everything else. That that be well, and then you've got that point zero one percent that's Bill Belichick calling in on his day off with obscure rules from the book, like they're violating it. I, th- I, I if if technology is developed the way I think it has, then I think they might develop AI to kind of filter out Bill, the old Bill and say like, please. <laughs> Bill's just perpetually on the phone. No one will let me through. Damn it! I don't understand this uh, call-in technology. All I, like, that, that, that was a funny. That was a funny comment about that earlier, but I digress. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think we covered the I think we covered the NFC I think a lot more than the previous podcast. But the, I think we did. We made a promise to cover the NFC. We have talked about the NFC. Like I I do feel kind of bad about because the Cowboys have also been playing very well. Like like obviously like we mentioned Dak. Like Lamb has been playing out of his mind. Pollard has been a bit of a disappointment I think, but I think he's kind of slowly regaining form. I think he I think it's a bit of a tough stretch to transition from being. 1B to just 1. And I think Pollard had to kind of go through that kind of growing pain. But I think he's recovered from that. And I think they found, like, bodies behind Pollard to kind of... Because Pollard is not a bigger running back, if I remember correctly. So, like, they you don't want to wear him down by being, like by using him like a Derrick Henry. So they found... I, feel, I believe it was Rico Dowdle like, who kind of handles the dirty work, like, down on the goal line or whatnot. So... I think they're they were slowly finding their way, and like apparently Mike McCarthy just had acute appendicitis and had a had a surgery yesterday. So, like, oh Jesus, we wish him the best. Like, yeah, you know, I, get I better, Mike. That, I don't wish that on anyone, but like those four are gonna be the class of the NFC, and I don't, I'm not sure who's like the legit people behind those four. Like, I'm not sure who I would pick, like because. Everybody else is really mediocre. Like Seattle hasn't been as impressive, I think. Although they've been pretty heavy set by injuries. The Falcons, obviously, we've mentioned how unimpressive they are. Like, like I think, unfortunately for like NFC North fans, like I think it might be Green Bay. That's number five. Yeah, it genuinely might. I, they, they at least are starting to put something together and, and get back into their position here. But every other team is either going through growing pains or has a significant injury or is a year or two off. Like, can you? The, the NFC is those four teams. Yeah, but can you imagine if Jordan Love actually does pan out and, they, and the NFC North has to go through fifteen years of Brett Favre, fifteen years of Aaron Rodgers, and then fifteen years of Jordan Love? While Chicago struggles I mean, to find a quarterback that knows how to like, put his pads on on game day, I mean, how absolutely wild would it be for Jordan Love to be the quarterback that seems to break the curse of the Forty ers <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> Aaron Rodgers can never get over that hump, and in year one with Jordan Love, they sneak in with the wild card and they take out the two seed. <laughs> ever, heard, ever, ever, ever heard of a, a site called The Draw Play? I don't believe I have. Oh, it's a it's a it's a hilarious guy. It's it's a guy by the name of Dave Rapoccio who's been drawing like NFL related cartoons I think for over 10 years now. Like and there was a very hilarious cartoon where he kind of summed up like Aaron Rodgers' like postseason fa- like failings. Like so he first made it when it went before before last year. So before the the fourth loss to the Niners. So and then so it was so 
it was up to, you know, where he got like killed by Tom Brady. And oh no, wait. Uh, anyway, and then so that was the first edition. And then next year, Rogers obviously loses to San Francisco. He upstates the comic and puts in the, he puts in a new panel with the Niners beating him again. It's hilarious. Oh, I'll, send it to you. No. I'll I'll show it to you later. It is absolutely hysterical. Yeah. That sounds absolutely fantastic. All right, I think I think we covered it. I think, like we I think we've like yapped on quite a while on the two man we but I, I had a lot of fun doing this. I did too. Uh, hopefully, we'll Eric will listen to this and decide that we can do it again someday, and that this wasn't a complete and utter mistake on his part. <laughs> well, well, I think I you can make the argument that each pod that he has us on is a mistake in another regard. But... <laughs> He just keeps making it. That's what, that kid has some poor decision making, despite the fact that he's, again, a very well thought, full, and, and mannered person. He's preaching to a choir right now. I think we mentioned that at the beginning of the show. We'll mention it again now. Um, he, he, he only did say that he said he would be preaching to a choir. He didn't kind of mention which kind of choir. For all we know, he could be like worshiping, he could be preaching to a choir at a cult. But I That's doubt fair. That. I mean, I guess we, we shouldn't really, you know. Make too many judgments on him until we have the full breadth of information. <laughs> Eric, if Eric, if you actually do listen to this episode, please let us know what you think about this. Like your attacks <laughs> on your character on this episode. <laughs> yes, we we made numerous assaults on both yours and Bradford's character. So yeah, it's a good uh, thing you weren't here to defend yourself. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we have covered everything that we should cover. I should probably let you go ahead and get to bed since it is the wee hours of the morning over there. Right. Sounds good. We will talk to you all next week. Uh, I'm sure Eric will be back with a round of uh, an assortment of other people. We're not sure who it will be, but it it uh, it will be a good time regardless. Um, here from Buffalo, YB's from South Korea. We wish you all a good day.